Now, once again, I do not have a passage of Scripture particularly for you to turn unto. We are going to be uh, spending a little bit of time um, in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you would like to turn there, you may. Uh, But we'll be in several other passages for just as long. As our family emphasis series continues, speaking this evening on raising godly children, one of several messages to exhort parents in regard to your children. And of course, I don't have a corner on this market. I don't know everything about raising children. But the Word of God uh, is clear on this topic, and there are some elements uh, of raising children through the Word of God, through experience, and through the counsel of others that um, need to be brought up to our parents this evening. This week we'll, we'll talk about this generalized concept next week in the evening, talk to fathers about the most important thing you can do to protect your sons, particularly in this digital age. We'll be talking about thought, life, and purity. And then the next week, fathers, the most important thing you can do to protect your daughters. And we'll be talking about you being for her what she needs until such time as her husband comes along. Raising godly children, this very topic is intimidating because the nature of of God's word and man's free will and time and life and circumstance means there really is no one set formula for raising godly children. We who are parents know that oftentimes our children turn out in spite of us, not necessarily always because of us, that sometimes we set an example and as we look back on the example we set, we said, wow, I would have done some things differently. And yet for all the things that we may have done differently, we see that the Lord filled in the difference. He made up the difference. Uh, But at the same time, we don't want to become complacent and say, well, God will God will deal with them and I'll just kind of do do what I can. To whatever degree we can equip ourselves, we ought to equip ourselves. When uh, I'm doing some work on the house, I could just say, well, you know, uh, I need a hammer for this job and a saw for this job, but but I'll just settle for, instead of a hammer, I'll just settle for a big rock. And I could do that. And I could take a big rock and I could perhaps do the job that I needed to do by nailing these nails with a big rock. But if I, if, if I think ahead and I prepare myself and I use the right tools and I, I do the job with the right tools, I'm going to find the job gets done easier and the job gets done better. And so as parents, uh, we ought to still be seeking the right tools, the right methods. We ought to still be going out and doing what we can to make ourselves the best parents. And even if we uh, have older children and, and uh, we've, we've maybe not done perhaps what we could have or should have done when they were younger, uh, it's never too late to start. And you can, you can pick up today and you can get these, some of these things dealt with today and reorient yourself for the future. Now again, uh, I'm, I'm operating on the experience of others. I'm operating on what I know from four and a half years of raising children. I do not know what it's like to raise teenagers. Uh, I, I, I'm not there yet. I know what it, what it was like to be a teenager and to be raised, however. And so the fruit of, of some of these various experiences is going to come out in this sermon. Uh, as a young father, I consider child rearing to be my greatest goal and, and really my greatest challenge. It takes care and it takes patience, it takes consistency, it takes persistence. It takes an eye toward the long term. Parenting is not a sprint, is it? It's a marathon. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a long term project. It, it takes bravery as well. And I'm going to speak on this topic, which will initiate several weeks of speaking to parents in evening messages. And this week will be more of, as I mentioned, a broad brushing message containing several important principles which uh, I think will help remind you of some of those things that are most needful uh, about godly parenting. And as we begin, we do so with an eye toward an important principle of Scripture. And that principle is found in Proverbs 22, verse 6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Now, this verse touches us as parents because it describes exactly what we want. To have children who do not depart from the way which they should go, who do not depart from sound doctrine, who do not depart from the faith. And so, in a manner of speaking, this verse is extremely encouraging because it tells us that there is a way that we can guide our children so that they do not depart from the faith. But at the same time, we recognize that our children have free wills, 
and have all, uh, we've, we've been around parents that um, state that to the best of their ability, they've sought this very thing and it did not necessarily work for them. Now we could go into a debate about whether this verse is a principle or whether this verse is a promise. I've heard it preached both ways and, and uh, I, I have a place where I sit right now, but my, my understanding of this verse is, is still being formed. Is this a principle where you, you guide and you lead and, and in general it, it, it directs your children in a direction, but of course with their free will, with their volition, they could always reject it? Or is this a promise that says, parent, if you truly do your part, they will not depart from the faith. And today I would like to talk through... I'm going to give you four principles. We're only going to talk through three of those four principles. One of those principles is going to become a sermon in and of itself. But we're going to talk through these principles to help you gain perspective, to remind you of a few things, parents, about raising godly children. As I mentioned, one of the principles I will mention but not talk about this evening, and we'll um, talk about it in, in our final week. So the first principle this evening is this. Teach truth. Parents, right, chain up a child in the way he should go when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you want to raise godly children, the first thing you need to do is you need to be proactive in teaching truth. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17, we read this. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Several weeks ago on a Tuesday evening service, we considered the amazing truth about Romans 10, 13, what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. And as we dug into the text there, we recognize that that Greek word to call does not mean necessarily, it's not the word that I would have expected. The Greek word kaleo, which means to cry out or to call out unto. And here at Legacy Baptist Church, we, pe- we preach salvation by belief alone through faith alone. We're careful to define belief as completely accepting the revelation of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. And what we find is this word call here is not that word to cry out, but it's rather the word, it's not kaleo, it's the word epikaleomai, which means to name or to invoke or to appeal unto. Oftentimes, it's it's used in the scriptures to talk about someone's surname, their last name. When when, um, uh, Jesus is naming his various disciples, giving them various names, this word epikaleo is used. And he named him Peter. And he named him, and as he would name these men, we'd have this this word epikaleomai. So the idea here is not necessarily whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord is to cry out to the Lord in mercy, to, 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 to call upon Him. Now, it's not a wrong thing to do. But what the verse is teaching us is that one must recognize his needy state and appeal to the name of Christ, his person and his work, to do for him what, what he could not do for himself. Whosoever shall name Christ shall call upon, shall name the name of the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon him, say, your, you, your person, your work, what you said, what you did is right and is true and I accept it, shall be saved. And that's what Romans 10, 13 means, which is um, very interesting. But then Paul says this, as he's talking about salvation, he says, how shall... Uh, how then shall they call in, uh, on him in whom they have not believed? How should they do this? How should they be able to name the name of the Lord? To invoke him unto salvation if they don't believe he's paid the price? They can't. You can't put your full faith and trust in the finished work of Christ if you don't believe in the finished work of Christ. And then how can they believe in the finished work of Christ if they have not heard about the finished work of Christ? And how can they hear the finished work of Christ, without a preacher. That word simply meaning a herald. Without someone to tell them the good news. And so the idea is this. The principle is this. 
A person is saved when their belief in the gospel causes them to accept the gift of Jesus Christ, which was paid for on the cross. This belief comes by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ comes when a person tells them about Christ. And we continue in the text, in verse 17, which says this, So then, faith cometh by hearing... Oh, excuse me. As it is written, uh, the whole thing here, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Parents, you cannot produce faith in your children. Did you know that? You can't produce faith in your children. You cannot make your children believe this stuff. But you don't have to. Because the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit convicts and convinces men of truth. The Holy Spirit brings men to a realization of the truth. But as a parent, you are instrumental in building the faith of your children... Because you can be their teacher. You can teach your children. And if you want your children to have faith, the first step in the process of helping your children live out a life of faith, develop faith, is to teach them the scriptures. We read in Deuteronomy 6, and we read this just a couple of weeks ago, but in Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 we read this. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. The Jews have taken this command very literally, and, and uh, they bind the word of God to their foreheads, and and these sorts of things. But, but what is this passage telling us? Diligently teach your children. Diligently guide them into truth. Parents, it is your responsibility to keep the word of God on the front of your children's minds. Help them see that the Bible is not just a book for Sunday. The Bible is not just a book for Sunday. Show them how God's truths touch every aspect of their lives. When you watch a movie... Apply the Bible to what you just saw. When you read a book, apply the Bible to the attitudes and the principles of the characters in the book. When you go for a hike, apply the Bible to the beauty that you see around you. Does not the Bible say that heavens declare the glory of God? And so when my wife and I would go for hikes when we were younger in our marriage, that hasn't happened all that much since we've had little kids, but when we used to go for hikes, we would, we would enjoy pointing out the character of God, the characteristics of God that we found in nature. Have you ever considered exactly, when you look at a spider's web, and you see this beautiful masterpiece that these spiders just weave overnight. Literally, you knock it down, you, you, you cut it, next day there's another one up. And when you see a spider's web, how can you not understand that the God who created that spider is a God of order and of beauty and of creativity. And you can learn these things about God simply from seeing the, the creation that is around us. We, we learn from creation that God has a sense of humor, right? You see some of these animals and you're like, wow, that is just, that's a, a crazy looking animal. God has a sense of humor. God is creative. God is orderly. God loves beauty. God is, is powerful as we consider Isaiah 40, that he holds the waters in the hollow of his hand, that he keeps back the tides. Go to the ocean and you see the tides and you see the, the water and you, you hear the rumble and you see the power and, and yet God's, God's in control. When you see a kid throwing a fit in a store, 
You can remind your children about what the Bible says. When you drive from A to B, you can appeal to the Bible to explain to your children why you go the speed limit, even when everyone is angry at you for doing it. Right? You go the speed limit because it pleases the Lord when you obey your authorities. When you have fun as a family, you remind them that those times of fun, those times together, your good health, your ability to go on a trip, the gifts that you've received from others, that they're, that they're from the Lord. That, that these are the expressions of God's goodness to you. When you sit to eat, you remind them of God's provision. We uh, work on that with my daughters. When it's time to pray before our meal, we regularly reiterate, well, you know, God's word does not explicitly say we need to pray for our food. But we choose to pray before a meal in order to give God the glory and the thanksgiving for the provision which he set before us. Because we want to be a thankful people. All these little ways, parents, are ways that you, in any circumstance, can teach your children, can keep the word of God before their eyes. It doesn't mean that you need to be opening the Bible and setting it in front of them every, every couple of hours in the day and just having it in front of their eyes. It's not what it means. What it means is take the word of God and show them how, when you're walking in the way, when you're sitting down, when you rise up, show them how the word of God touches every aspect of their lives. Show them that the Bible is not just a book for Sunday. Show them that God is not just a God that you invoke on one day of the week. Show them that serving the Lord is life. It's not just a part of life. It's not, it, you, you don't put on God like you put on a coat only when you need it because it's a little cold outside. You, you put on Christ every day, all day, and you live your life in light of Christ, in light of the Word. You teach your children that the Word of God is not just a book of helpful suggestions. It is the kingdom citizen's guide to successful living, to pleasing, to pleasing his, his King. It contains the essence of how a man pleases God. It is the lifeline to the Spirit of God, and the vein through which the power of God flows is the Spirit of God. So if the Word of God is our lifeline to the Spirit of God, who is the vein through whom the power of God flows, then we need the Word of God to be an active part of our daily lives. Now the command, in the context of fathers that we're actually going to consider specifically as far as teaching and nurturing and raising is found in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. And that's where I asked you to turn and it says this, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're not going to talk about the not provoking your children to wrath this evening. We'll, we'll touch on it a little bit in another message. And I have preached on that before. But the phrase to bring them up literally means to nourish them unto maturity. It can be used certainly in a physical sense. Fathers, I hope that you are taking responsibility for your children to feed them and to nourish them and to make sure that, that there is food for them to eat. But that's not really the context within which we find this here. In this case, uh, they're to be nourished up. They're to be nourished to maturity in the admonition, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurtured not just physically, but parents, you need to have this concept, parents. You are their spiritual nurturer. You are their spiritual nurturer. And that is why we do what we do at Legacy Baptist Church. Why don't we break up into, into different programs? Why don't we have the parents send your kids away from you? Because you are the spiritual nurturer of your children. And if you have taken responsibility for young people, then you are their spiritual nurturer. That you are tasked not just to raise them unto physical maturity, not just to help them get the nourishment that they need and the exercise that they need. Parents, you, you know this. You, you don't want your kids to be sitting on the, the couch all day eating potato chips, right? You know that there's a danger if you allow your kids to sit on the couch all day every day. And so you tell them, look, get off the couch and go play outside for a little bit. Run off some energy, get some exercise. You know your children need that. When your children go out in the sun for too long, though, what are you going to do? You're going to put sunscreen on them. Why? Because you don't want them to get sunburns. You don't want them to get blisters. You don't want them to have all of those problems. So you put some sunscreen on them. Parents, you take it upon yourself to, to do that because if you leave it up to your children, they're not going to. So you are going to proactively nurture them. 
You're going to make sure your children brush their teeth so their teeth don't rot and fall out. You're going to make sure your children take baths so that they don't have all sorts of strange things growing between their toes. You're going to make sure that your children do these things and you you do that and as they're younger they need more time and they need more effort and they need more care and they need more proactivity. But then as they get older they begin to mature and you can leave some of these responsibilities to them. And there's a, a phase where you still check up on them and you realize, hmm... I gave my son a new toothbrush three weeks ago, and it doesn't look like it's been used. And then you have to back up a little bit, right? And you have to back up and say, okay, obviously you are not mature enough yet to take this responsibility upon yourself. So I am going to step up for a little while to make sure you brush your teeth. And you, you train it into them. You train that they make their bed. You, you, you bring them up. You nurture them unto maturity as a person. But parents, this is your responsibility spiritually as well. When one speaks of spiritual food, if it's your responsibility to nurture your children, to raise them up, to bring them up, to nourish your children, excuse me, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to raise them unto spiritual maturity, well, when the Bible speaks of spiritual food, spiritual nourishment, the illusion always finds its way back to the Word of God, doesn't it? In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and he tells the devil this. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Paul told the Corinthian church in relation to doctrine, I have fed you with milk, and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet are ye now able. The illusion is consistent throughout the New Testament that when the Word of God speaks of nourishing a believer, it's speaking of doctrine and scripture. And if you're going to nourish your children, parents, if you're going to bring them up to nourish, nourish them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you need to teach them the Word of God. They need to know what the Bible says. Because the Word of God is the source. And just with just as with Paul, when they're a young believer, you've got to start out with the milk and then grow unto the meat of deeper doctrinal truths. And if you feed a child heavy foods too young, they're not going to be able to digest it and it could harm them. And many a believer has been harmed as well by being fed a bit some things that are too doctrinally heavy too early. And they've choked on it, and it led them down a, a path because a wrong path because they've not been foundationally established. And parents, these are things that you need to think about when you think about your children and how they're growing, and and um, the, they're growing again. I'm going to need to get more clothes for them. I'm going to need to buy bigger clothes, uh, bigger shoes. They're growing again. Uh, I need to be sure that I have enough fruit and vegetables in the fridge, or I need to be sure that they're getting uh, this in their diet. I need to be sure they're drinking enough water. You know, you should be doing the same thing spiritually. How are my children doing? What are they doing? Where are they right now? And how can I get them to the next step in their spiritual growth? Don't be content that Pastor Wickler on, on Sundays is going to have enough to get them where they need to go. I can preach messages, but I, I'm preaching to everyone. And it might apply to your child, but your child might need guidance. And I can't be that guide for everyone. But I don't have to. Because these children have parents. Who can be a part of that. Who can do that for them. So parents, the first thing, the first admonition. If you want your children to grow up to love the Lord, to serve the Lord, you need to teach them truth. Secondly, you need to correct what is wrong. And this is the point I'm not going to sit on this evening because we're going to have another message on discipline and consistency. But let me just say this this evening. Of late, my wife and I have been making an effort to get our yard a bit more under control. It's been a little weedy and it's been a little bit uh, um, less, than, less than what it ought to be. And in the neighborhood, for my testimony's sake and as well for the beauty of the yard... We're trying to get it under control. We want our lawn healthy. We want it to look nice. We want it to, 
to be nice for the children. We don't want to have a bunch of ant piles so the kids can't run out in the yard and play. We don't want to have a bunch of weeds that the kids are going to prick their feet on or, their knee, or if they fall, they're going to hurt their knees on or whatnot. And as we've begun to make this effort, we understand that a healthy, healthy lawn is more than just weeding or feeding the grass, right? It's more than just watering. It's more than just keeping the grass healthy. Feeding the grass is probably the most important part of the effort. But on top of the feeding of the grass, I also have to proactively keep out the weeds, right? That's been our big problem of late, the weeds. When the weeds come, they need to be quickly and decisively dealt with, killing them, pulling them out, lest they grow and spread. If I do not take care of the weeds, any amount of nourishment I give to my grass is going to be negated once those weeds are entrenched. Now, as parents, your greatest responsibility with your children is to nourish them, to positively feed them in the scriptures. But parents, weeds are going to pop up in your children's spiritual life. Especially as they get into their teenage years, they get willful. There's, um, they're, they're learning to go out on their own. They're understanding some of the dynamics of, of what they want and, and what they aspire to and and there's new temptations, and there's new desires as they grow. And we need to be careful, parents, that we're not just nourishing them and then pretending like we don't see the weeds. When there are weeds in our children's spiritual life, when there's something that pops up, and you're starting to look at it and saying, that's not how I've raised him. There, he's, he knows what the Word of God says, but, but that attitude, that that he just lied to me or he just deceived me or he's not telling me these things or she is uh, doing things that she'd never done before. She's talking to me that way. She's never spoken to me that way before. And, and, and if you see a trend, a problem, there's a spiritual weed that needs to be pulled. And you can cover your eyes and you can just hope that maybe it'll go away and it might. Through the preaching of God's word and the teaching, the Holy Spirit might convict them individually and it might be taken care of. But if you're going to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, parents, I encourage you not to just ignore the weeds. Don't think that it's not your problem because it's your child. Help them. And we'll talk about this more in just a moment. If we don't help them, the weeds might very well grow, strengthen, and they might even begin to choke out the spiritual health which the nourishment is intended to provide. Your children might begin to regress because the weeds that have found their way into their spiritual lives begin to choke out the virtue that has been built. And this means, parents, if we're going to, to nourish them onto maturity and to help pull out the weeds, the spiritual weeds, then you've got to know your children. And this is our third point. You've got to know your children. Number three, parents, keep communication open. If there's a point that you take with you this evening, parents, I exhort you, I implore you, keep communication with your children open. I think this is one of the biggest problems among parents today. Parents are often afraid to talk to your children about spiritual things. And up here, particularly, uh, as I've been in the area, um, because of the Catholic and Lutheran background, spirituality is kind of a very personal, private thing up here. People, it's not, it's not culturally acceptable, really, to talk about your faith. And that, of course, is not the case among us as believers, but that culture is still up here. And there's a tendency already, parents, to be afraid to really kind of get to the bottom of what's going on with your children. Maybe you've been here with your health before, where you've had a health issue come up, and some people are like, I've got to know, I've got to figure out what's going on here. But some people would rather not know and just ignore it because they're afraid of what they might hear if they actually get it checked on. They're afraid that it might be something wrong, so they, they try to ignore it because they don't want to hear that it's something wrong. And you know, we can be like this with our children. We can be afraid to ask them what's going on in their lives. We can be afraid to communicate with them on a personal level. Whether you fear the awkwardness or you fear that you're going to drive them away by offending them or upsetting them or you fear that they might not tell you and it will just drive a wedge deeper between you. 
Parents can be can can become afraid to talk to their children about their children's spiritual health. And when we're afraid to talk with our children on a personal level, to understand where they are, to understand their fears, to understand their concerns, to learn of their spiritual struggles, to talk about their strengths and their weaknesses, we lose out. We miss the ability to guide them and to help them in areas where they're most vulnerable and where they need the most help. Parents, children are naturally hesitant to come to us with their spiritual problems because we are not just their nurturers, are we? We are also their disciplinarians. You are not just your child's nurturer, you are their discipliner. And so a child might fear coming to you to tell you that they have a problem, a spiritual problem, a spiritual need, because they think that in doing so, you'll get angry or disappointed. As a matter of fact, maybe you've done that before, where your child has finally been under enough conviction that they come to you and say, hey, mom and dad, I've been doing this. And it's been a habit, and it's been wrong, and I'm sorry. And, and you've kind of gone off on them. And you've meted out heavy consequences upon them. And you've raked them across the coals. And it's not to say they didn't need discipline. But when they come to you with a contrite and humble spirit, and they confess before you their problem, and you completely slam the book at them, they might be unwilling to come to you again next time because of the severity of what they dealt with last time they came to you. Indeed, there has been many a child who has gone to his parents and admitted his problems, and instead of being met with love and assistance, they've been met with deep punishment and resentment. And parents, I'd like, to, I'd like to help you here. If your child is coming to you to confess a secret sin in his or her life, don't just see this as a point of punishment. Yes, if there needs to be consequences, there needs to be consequences. If a child's been doing something wrong, uh, if, if, if he's been watching wrong things on the television or doing something wrong on the internet or playing video games at times he shouldn't be or, 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 um, or playing video games that he shouldn't be or whatever it might be, if there's something wrong, there might need to be consequences. And your children will understand that. Yes, you know, I understand that I can't watch TV for a while or, or that there's going to be more accountability or whatever the case may be. But when you, when you, throw the book at them, I guess is the way I'm going to describe it. If you make the, the, the punishment so severe that it goes beyond just chastening, you might just drive them away. And let me distinguish here the difference between chastening and punishment. Remember what chastening is. Chastening is meant to bring about a heart of repentance. Punishment is giving someone the consequences of their actions. Chastening is bringing a person to a point of repentance. If a child is coming to you to confess things at his or her own will, then your child is already repentant. They are coming to you to confess it because they know it's wrong and they, they want to get it right. Now, there may, may need to be consequences, some punishment for the action itself. But more than consequences, your child needs to be nurtured out of that sin. Your child needs to walk away from that situation saying, I am so glad I told my parents, not just because... Now I'm right with God, but because also they can help me knock this. They can help me get through this. And if you make them sorry they came to you because of the way you treat them afterward, then you are short-circuiting your ability to help them. Your child needs to cut off the seeds of that sinful lifestyle. Those those weeds need to be pulled out by the roots. And parents, we need to help them with this. And if you just punish them, if you just explode and lay down heavy consequences and say, I'm so disappointed in you. Well, if that struggle continues. So, yeah, so they told you. And you meet out the punishment. If that struggle continues, the next time your child finds themselves, they're still struggling with this sin. 
they're not going to come to you. Because they know you won't help them, you will only punish them. And if you're just going to punish them, and it's not going to help them get it dealt with, then they're not going to tell you. They'll play the odds that you're not going to find out. And they'll try to solve it their own way. And they might still try to solve it, but they're going to have to solve it without your help. They're going to choose to solve it without your help because they don't, <laughs> because it's just going to make it harder on them if they tell you. And you don't want this, parent. You don't want this. You don't want your children to fear their punishment so much that they are unwilling to come to you to get help with their sin problem. And when this happens, more often than not, the child doesn't solve the sin problem. They don't come to you for help because they fear punishment. And so more often, your child will just learn to hide that sin deeper so that he doesn't get caught so he won't have to face punishment. And at this point, parent, you've lost the opportunity to help them. And I say this particularly for parents of, of children that are getting into their teen years, 12 plus. Parents, your child needs to know that you're here to help them. They need to know that you are an advocate for them. They need to see you not just as a, they need to see you as a disciplinarian, but not just as a disciplinarian. They need to see you as an advocate for their spiritual success. That you will do anything and everything you can to help them become successful spiritually. And I hope that this is the attitude that pervades not just the family, but the church. I should hope that anyone in this church could come to me as your pastor and tell me if you had a sin problem and come to me for help and, and expect that I'm not going to just throw you under the bus and throw you out of the church. Number one, I don't have the authority to do that in this church. But, but you, would, you would expect that if you were honest with the church about your sin problem, the church would rally around you to help you, not shun you and, 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 and kick you to the curb. And, and you would, I would expect that. I would expect that you expect that. And that's the same idea. If the people of the church are afraid that if they make themselves vulnerable and tell someone else their sin problem, that they're just going to be shunned and, and cast out, then they're going to become really good hypocrites, right? So that they don't get shunned and cast out. But if there is an attitude, an atmosphere, a subculture of, of understanding that we're all growing and we need to help each other be, do what's right and become right, then there's freedom. And parents, that's what you need to foster in your family. You need, your children ought to feel freedom to come to you with their problems and their needs and their struggles and to tell you without fear that you're going to overreact and make their lives miserable because they have a sin problem. Your children need to know that you're there to help them. Your children need to know that you will listen to them. And parent, especially when you are establishing these open lines of communication, honesty and clarity are, are so important. If the child is coming to you with a problem and they want your help to solve it, then they are willing to do what is necessary to find success over that sin. And you need to facilitate that. You need to encourage that, not punish that. Because they are coming to you asking they may not, you may not, not hear them say, mom or dad, please help me. But if they're coming to you saying, mom and dad, I've been doing this for a while, they want your help. They want your help. Your children need to see you as their greatest source of understanding and accountability. But often we as parents respond to these things in fear. We find our little child has a sin problem and we overreact. We take away all privileges. We stop trusting them. And if they get caught hiding a sin, some of these actions are appropriate. If, if, they, if they get caught in a sin that they have not confessed, they've been hiding it and they get caught, it makes sense. It makes sense to, to bring them to a... You have to bring them... You have to chasten them into repentance. So it makes sense that you would react more harshly to that. But I say again, if they are willing to sit down and to tell you their struggles, to confess their sin, to acknowledge their weaknesses, and to ask you for their help, 
then this is a huge step of biblical maturity and it is an invitation for you to take a more active role in their lives. And you need to accept this invitation with respect for their maturity. And when this happens, you need to be more determined not to treat them as more of a child. When they come up and say, mom or dad, I have this sin problem or I've been doing this, I'm sorry. That should not be a red flag that you need to treat them more as a child and stop trusting them. That's a flag that you ought to be treating them more as a spiritual, mature adult. Because they are taking the steps necessary to deal with their sin. And that is a sign of spiritual maturity. And, and, and of course, again, that doesn't mean that you don't have, that there's no consequences. But it does mean that in your eyes, you ought to see that step that your child is taking as a positive step of maturity and guide them through it. Don't knock them down to where they'll never want to do it again. And let me just speak to children for a moment as we are walking through this. Children, you need to be honest with your parents. If you have a sin problem, I promise you, I guarantee you, I I implore you, you want to get it taken care of before you leave your home. You know, we've talked before about discipline, and we'll talk about it our last week on the 19th. Parents, how much better is it for you to discipline your child when the offense is just taking a cookie than it is for you not to discipline your child and they have to be disciplined when their offense is stealing from a store? How much better for you to instill in your children discipline while the consequences are minimal than to not instill in them discipline and then the consequences get great when they have a family. Children, if you have a sin problem, if you're dealing with something, if you are dealing, if, 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 you, if you have a, a, a tendency to lie or to cheat on your schoolwork, or if you have a tendency to take things that, that don't belong to you. Or you have a tendency, young men, you have, you have, you're struggling with your thought life. With looking at things you shouldn't. With thinking about women in a way that's not healthy and not appropriate. Young ladies, if you have a real problem with your self-image and you're constantly thinking of yourself. And you, you, you know that, that, that you're, you're, you're vain, that, that you're struggling in that area. Or if any of you are, are struggling even with materialism and just constantly wanting more, 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 more. All of these you know are problems. You want to get these dealt with before you leave the house. You've got a time now where you have the opportunity to deal with them again while the consequences are minimal for these sins. You want to deal with these sins before you become a father or a mother or a deacon or a pastor, or a missionary, or an employee, or a boss, and you say, well, yeah, I can get it taken care of. Can you? Will you? What if you don't? What if that sin continues to entrench itself, and 15 years from now, you are still struggling, but now you have a wife, or a a husband, and you have children, and you have a job, and you're still dealing with these things. And now, if you get caught, the consequences are greater but now you're also 15 years more entrenched in that sinful lifestyle. You want your sin problem dealt with while it's still minor. And if you just hide it deeper, children, because you fear your parents' reaction, you will bury those roots deeper on your sin and it could ensnare you. And it could even overcome you. The consequences of your parent finding out about your sinful struggles are so much more minimal than your wife or your husband or your children or your church or your job finding out about your spiritual struggles 15 years down the road. And when your parents know, children, when your parents know they can help, help you break that habit. They can help break that sin. Parents, back to you. Keep communication open. There are some parents here who may never have talked with your children about their spiritual lives. 
You've never sat down with your child and said, hey, can I just ask you, how are you doing spiritually? Never confronted them about their own spiritual weaknesses. Sit down and say, hey, son, hey, daughter, if I told you that you could tell me anything right now, and we might have to, you know, there might need to be necessary lifestyle changes, but there will not be true punishment. There will not be excessive punishment. If you, if you tell me now, would you tell me? Would you, would you open up to me? I won't overreact. I won't, I, I won't throw the book at you. Would you tell me if there's something going on? Parents, may I implore you to do that. And if you, if you aren't doing that, then, then unless you have a special child who's already opened up to you on, on its own, on his own, on her own, some children will, you're losing out on an opportunity. You need to sit them down and explain to them that you want to know how they're doing. That you want to know how you can help them. Not punish them, but help them. And then listen with an ear to learn how you can do so. And parents, this is not just about sin, either. I've, I've talked about it in, in relation to sin, but talking to your children, getting to know them, learning about their dreams and ambitions, learning about them through their interests, answering their questions about relationships and jobs and adulthood and life, how much better when there's open communication that they come to you to ask you than just going to buddy, friend at school, uh, co-worker as they get a little older, neighbor. Children need answers to questions. And as they get older, they want more answers. And if they don't get them from you, then they'll either find a friend to answer them, which is a pretty terrifying thought when you think about it, or they'll figure it out on their own. And if they have to figure it out on their own, you're, you're rolling the dice that they're going to figure it out properly and not make the mistakes along the way. So parents, may I encourage you to communicate with your children. And of course, don't do it together. One at a time. Find a place where you can sit down with them individually and just ask them to communicate with you as their advocate, as one who wants to help nurture them in the, nourish them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, parents, what, I, what I'm not necessarily saying is that you need to be their friend. I, I don't like the idea necessarily of seeing it that way. But you can't just be their authority either. And the word that I'm choosing to use here is advocate. Your children need to see you as an advocate for their spiritual success. That when they are struggling, they say, I know my parents want me to be fruitful and to do what's right. I know that they want to help me. And you know, if taking away some privileges helps them, they'll get that. Especially as they get older. They understand that. If they've been abusing the television, they understand that, that things need to change with the television to help them. They know that. That's not going to upset them. But if all of a sudden you become their stalker... <laughs> Because you've heard that you, you, because they've come up and said, I've done something wrong, and now everything becomes this overbearing, super limit, then they're not going to talk to you anymore. You've overreacted. So teach truth, correct what is wrong, keep communication open. Fourth and, and finally today, parents, be the example. This is the other. Big problem among parents which must be addressed. Parents, your children will learn far more from what you do than what you say. You can teach them until they know the Bible backwards and forwards, which would be quite a feat, by the way, if they knew the Bible backwards. You can teach them until they know the Bible. You could teach them until they've memorized half of it. But you know what's going to make the Bible real to them? You know what's going to validate the Bible in their ears and before their eyes? It's going to be when they see how real the Bible is to you. When you're driving down the road and you have a line of angry cars behind you because you're going the speed limit and your children, maybe, 
Dad, there's a lot of cars behind you. This is kind of embarrassing as they get a little older or whatever the case may be. And, and you say, yeah, but you know what? I'm going the speed limit because I love God and I want to obey him. The Bible, the Bible verses that say submit yourselves to your authorities will be validated in your children's life before their eyes. Because here is my parent and they know what the Bible says and they love God and they're obeying him. When the cashier misses a part of your purchase and you could walk away having not paid for that thing and instead you go back and you say, hey, you missed this. Could you ring that up? Because you love God and you want to obey him. The Bible will be validated in a deeper way through your obedience than anything that they could read or hear. When your children know that you turn off the TV at inappropriate scenes, not just because the children are here, but because God is here, not just because the children are watching, but because God is watching, not just because the children are listening, but because God is listening, and you love God, then that standard will become real to them. Oh, this is not just do as I say, not as I do. This is my parents loving God and saying this is what the Bible says. So by God's grace, I'm going to do it because I love him. And your children will say, yes, I love God too. I want to do that too. When, the, when you live the Bible's message of faith and your children see how your faith comes out in your life, well, we need that and I'm just going to trust the Lord for it. Well, we're waiting on this. Let's just trust the Lord. Well, we've got this sickness. We'll just trust the Lord. When your children see your faith being lived out, they'll see truth with their eyes and it will root itself in their hearts because the truth becomes real to them as you live it. And this is where, where when I read Proverbs 22.6, that if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is older, he will not depart from it. This is where I believe that that verse very well could become a promise, where that verse could find its power. Because when a young person watches the spiritual vibrancy, the spiritual joy, and the effectiveness of men and women who love God and who are walking in fellowship with God, men and women who don't see standards just as an inconvenience, but as a blessed means by which to maintain a close relationship with God, men and women who pray and see God answer, men and women who give of their time and their effort, they truly sacrifice to serve the Lord with a joyful heart, men and women who love God more than they love anything else, men and women who live in peace and joy and who love one another without hypocrisy or without an ulterior motive, not the kind of, uh, you're not the kind of mom or dad who your children are standing there at church and you're smiling at a person and talking and saying how, how and being cordial with them. And then as soon as you get in the car, oh, I just can't stand that person. Oh, I wish they would just, your children hear that. They see the hypocrisy. They know that that's gossip. They know that what you are doing is unbiblical. And it is undermining in their hearts the biblical teaching that you are trying to instill in them. When young people see you living out your faith, I have a hard time believing that any child who sees their parents living out the true faith would ever walk away from that faith. Because this faith that we hold, this is not just what we believe. This is real. This is true. This is truth. And if you're living truth and your children every day are confronted with you living out the truth, they'll know. They will. Do you know why young people walk away? They walk away because the most revered among us, the most respected among us are often the biggest hypocrites. They walk away because the most honored ones, the ones who look the best, are not the ones who love God the most. They walk away because sincere, sincerity in our Christian walk is often replaced with obligation. Sincerity in prayer, sincerity in scripture reading, sincerity in church attendance, sincerity in serving the Lord, it's often replaced with obligation. They walk away because piety is often replaced with deception. They walk away because we are all so stuck on what others think of us that we become something that we aren't in order to impress others. They walk away 
because of hypocrisy and, and, and a lack of authenticity. But if you don't live this false life in front of your kids, if you live out authentic Christianity, your kids will see that. And you know, when you are living out an inauthentic Christian life, when you're living out this hypocrisy, your children will be the first to know because they live with you. They know what you're really like. Don't think they don't. Your kids have heard those times you've talked nice to someone and then gossiped about them. Your kids have heard you say, oh amen, when I preach about the dangers of certain things and then you go and do that very thing. Your kids know when you say one thing but do another. Your kids know when you're telling them to do what you say but not what you do. Your kids know. And if I can point the finger at the one thing that drives young people away from a thriving relationship with God more than any other, it is not that they realize their parents are human, that, that, that you have sin, that you have work to do in your own spiritual lives. Your children know that. They know that you're a sinner. They know that you're not perfect. That's not what's going to drive your children away. And, and it's not going to drive anyone away from this church to know that I have problems, is it? I mean, if it does, then, then you've got a problem. If, if it drives you away from this church to know that I'm a sinner and that I'm not perfect. To know that I struggle in my own life with, with temptations and sins. And just that that's not going to drive you away from this church, that's not going to drive your children away from the faith, parents. It's when you try to pretend like you aren't human. It's when you try to pretend like you don't have sin. It's when you try to pretend like you are, for lack of a better word, perfect. That hypocrisy will drive young people away faster than anything else. The preacher, Timothy, was a man who loved the Lord. He had followed a, a heritage of women in his life who would love the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes this, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. In 2 Timothy 1, 5, Paul calls to remembrance Timothy's, notice what he says here, unfeigned faith. Timothy, I see a genuineness to your faith. And that genuineness is in your mother and in your grandmother as well. He didn't say, when I call to remembrance your pious actions. When I call to remembrance your, your, Christian, your, your, your Christianness. He said, when I call to remembrance your unfeigned, your sincere, unhypocritical faith. And this is what we all want, but we, we don't all achieve it. And it's often because somewhere along the line, our faith becomes feign, becomes fake. We begin to play a part, to pretend to be more godly than we are, and if anyone's going to see it, our children are going to see it. So Paul exhorted Timothy as a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And so it is, parents. If you want to raise godly kids, and by the way, if you're not a parent in this room, or if you're finished parenting, or whatever the case may be, you still have the opportunity to be this for, your, for the church, for the young people at church. You can still be an example for them of unfeigned faith, even if you're not their parent. Parents, if you want to raise godly kids, you need to teach them what is right. You need to correct them in what is wrong. You need to be open in your communication. You need to be their advocate. And you need to be an example to them in charity, love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And if you will do this, As your pastor, I feel I can confidently tell you that you will raise godly children. 
And if your children are still at home, then it's not too late to begin this. Now, if your children are older and married and whatnot, well, at that point, they've got their own lives. If, if they had entrenched sin, now they're dealing with the consequences of that entrenched sin in their new situation. But if your children are still at home, it's not too late. The older they are, perhaps the more difficult this will be. It's more difficult for a parent to sit down when a child is, is older and say, hey, can you, can you finally start opening up to me? <laughs> um, it's something that's better to foster at a younger age when it's not unusual and a, and a child can start to think that this is a normal way to live, to talk to my parents about things, to open up to them, to communicate with them. And then as they get into those teenage years, it's just going to be a continuation of that relationship. But it can still happen. And maybe it is that you'll need to sit down and the first thing you'll need to do is say, Hey, children, I just want to tell you I'm sorry. I have been living in fear of asking you about your spiritual life. And I have not done my job at at nurturing you, nourishing you, uh, being what you need me to be spiritually. But I want that to change. And today, if you're, if, if you're willing, that let's, let's, let's start here. You ask them to... to, to allow you to be their advocate, to help them grow spiritually. And you don't ignore what you do see, uh, that you consider to be problems. If, if, if you see the spiritual fruit of problematic things, uh, attitudes or actions, then, then bring it up to them and, and confront them and these sorts of things. And then, uh, the last thing, of course, parents, you just need to make sure that you, you've cleaned up your own life. That there are no hypocrisies in your own life that they can see in you. And as we do this, parents, as we do this, it's right. And just as you have proactively nurtured and nourished your children physically to help them become physically what they need to be, you will be accepting and taking on that mantle of providing for them spiritually, raising them into what they need to be. And this is what you need to do, parents. This is right. Let's close in prayer.